everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 77. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi-Leach and Jonathan Getz. Aloha. How's it going, guys? It, it's It's been a rough week. It has well, been yeah. a rough week. Yeah. Certainly we'll talk about that. Um, I want to introduce uh, a friend of ours we've got sitting in with us tonight. Uh, our good buddy Adam Galassi is on the horn. How are you, Adam? Hey, friends. Fantastic. It's good to be good, here. Good, good. Yeah, so Adam uh, is a longtime friend of ours, fan of the podcast, uh, and a talented uh, filmmaker. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter, uh, at Galassi underscore W. So you can follow him on the Twitter. And uh, tonight, really, Adam's sitting in with us uh, as a friend and a fan of a lot of the uh, of some of the artists we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, unfortunately, this is kind of one of those, uh, you know, I wish the subject was different tonight, you know, uh, one of those episodes, um, unfortunately. So as everybody I'm sure is aware now, um, uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden uh, died. And uh, we're going to be talking about that as well as um, just yesterday, uh, rock legend Greg Allman passed away. So it's been uh, it's been a rough uh, rough few days here. So uh, and then we're you know we'll we'll try to uh, try to maybe lighten the mood a little bit at the end of the episode as well. But uh, Adam's a big Soundgarden fan. All of us grew up listening to Soundgarden. So we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Cornell first, and uh, you know his impact on uh, on our lives and uh, as well as you know our. Uh, the musicians that we like, and uh, just really the all the great sounds that he he created and helped create. So um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll just start there. Um, it was it was certainly uh, uh, rough news to hear, and uh, I don't know, unexpected certainly. Completely, absolutely. Uh, it was just a few days after I saw him live. Um, oh yeah right right uh here in kansas city at the starlight theater on mother's day so a couple sundays ago and then to see that just a few days later uh, it was it was hard to fathom yeah yeah right right and i i think that um it was it happened in the middle of a tour as well which not that that uh um not that it matters when something like that happens necessarily it's always tragic but uh, yeah, you know they were they were they were in the middle of touring, uh, and I guess that makes it seem uh, harder to fathom, right? It's just to borrow your words, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. that the, they're still active. You know, it wasn't like he was uh, reclusive or or anything like that. You know, his um, stage presence was great. Uh, that yeah, night in Kansas City, the performance was awesome. He was kind of jovial, talking about being in Kansas City. Uh, coming to Kansas City as a kid because his, his grandparents lived here and uh, wearing a Royals cap. Um, and uh, it was a stage presence I had actually not seen of him before uh, the, the previous couple times I saw Soundgarden. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately we don't, we don't always see the demons that people are fighting, uh, un- unfortunately. Uh, so uh, it's, it, it's tragic. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch uh, any of the footage from the last performance in Detroit? I haven't been able to yet. For some yeah, time. I'm kind of. I mean, not to sound too sensitive, but I'm just. I'm not ready to see it for some reason. It's bizarre. I can yeah. only watch a little bit of it. Um, I, I, I just. I, I watched just a little bit of one tune, uh, and it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard to watch. Um, I, I think. You know, living in a day and age where pretty much every concert is recorded. You know, um, essentially, yeah. <laughs> and, and thrown up on YouTube. But this would have happened. Like, uh, shit. I, you know, they're both, they're both of Seattle bands. So I'll just bring it up. Um, like when this happened to Kurt Cobain, you know, all of us kind of had to, um, you know, we none of us had seen Nirvana live. Like our our our, cha- our the channels of information were like, limited. Kurt Loder was yeah. Like Kurt our... Loder. Kurt Loder delivered the news, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, and and now, um, uh, you know, we've we've uh, you, you know, you can you can watch him literally hours before he died. Um, and that's I, I, I know what I, I can understand why, Adam, why you didn't want to watch it, because it uh, 
it was hard for me. I, I only watched like half of a song. Um, Is it true uh, that like in the last song he like does some of the lines from In My Time of Dying by Led Zeppelin? Yes, but like Soundgarden has done that before. Oh, okay. that's that's okay. that. Right. I I had heard that as well, but then I had heard that they tease the song pretty often in their set. Okay, so so I, I don't. I obviously you it's know still, it's, pretty, it's still just kind of spooky. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't a first time that they played or teased that song. So yeah. it wasn't until yeah. tonight actually that I've been able to uh, listen to Soundgarden. Uh, oh, yeah. I hadn't listened to him since uh, since he died, and I was I was on a full uh, tilt uh, run of Soundgarden. Even that night, that night of the Detroit show, I was uh, cranking up B sides uh, in the house, and and to hear because they did some funky covers, man. Uh, there's a B sides on Apple Music. Uh, you know they do like "Thank You for Letting Me Letting Me Be Myself" and uh, "Earache uh-huh. My Eye," and you can hear Chris Cornell trying not to laugh. Um, while singing uh, Spinal Tap, uh, uh, Spinal Taps, uh, what what is it? Uh, uh, Big Bottoms. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can you can hear it in his voice trying not to laugh, and uh, and yeah, it was that night of the Detroit show that we listened to that, and ever since then I hadn't been able to listen until until today, and I feel like that there's maybe not a more significant death that I can recall of a musician uh, that I so admired at a time um, in, in the context of their career, if that makes sense. Um, and this is you yeah, know, kind absolutely. of in relation to Greg Allman. Absolutely. It's really strange, too, because I think I saw a picture from the Kansas City show that you posted on Instagram. And uh, I'd gotten off really late from work that night, and I saw that, and uh, when the weather gets warmer for me, I've always just cranked up Soundgarden more. That seems like a spring-summer thing for me. And I saw that picture, and I said, it's it's like a sin that I've never seen these guys live. And how have I never seen these guys live? It's one of those things where it's always just the timings fall through the cracks. I've tried to see them. And that night I got online. I'm trying to uh, get my shows covered at work. And I'm like, i got to get to this Detroit show. That's the closest they're going to be. And I looked at rental cars, I looked at everything, and like nothing was falling into place oh at all. But God. I spent a good mm. two hours trying to figure out how to get to Detroit. So then I was like, well, it's a fail, it's not going to happen. So then the rest of my week consisted of just like shoving Soundgarden down my ears. And so then that to happen within that week, just personally for me, it was like, yes. what is going on? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh my so. gosh, that's, yeah, that's, that's tough. <laughs> Although, really, in hindsight, would you have wanted to see that show? Uh, probably not. No, no, right. I don't think I can handle that right now in my life. That would have been a bit much. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that would have been heavy to deal with. But I mean, that was a big bummer for me that I, I never, I never saw him live, and yeah. that was uh, and selfishly that hit me like whoa, which makes him more mystique to me and more of yeah. a. This entity, kind of like Bowie was uh, for me too. It's just like, wow, I didn't think these people died. You know? Yeah, like, right. And it's, it's I, unreal. It's, it's it's you know it's 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 easy to go to a selfish place like when you hear about it because like that's you know I never got to see David Bowie live and he was on he was probably atop my list. It's just it just didn't shake out. He didn't tour that frequently. You know, during the last really right. you know ten fifteen years of his life. Um, so, but yeah, it's often oh I didn't get to see him, but then. Then I have to stop and think. Oh well, his daughter is never going to. Chris Cornell is never going to get to see him again. So you know, right, it, 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 I, I, yeah. I, I feel small. You know, um, uh, when when I say something like that. Um, well, but, it's always uh, right. It's, it's it's easy to do. Yeah, it's easy to do. Yeah, there's always starving people yeah. in Africa. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Sure. 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 Right. I, I, it's okay. To, it's okay to feel bad about it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I. Uh, in all actuality, I was kind of late to the Soundgarden game, honestly. They had always, you know, been in my peripheral vision, obviously, of grunge and stuff at that time. But it would have been in 96 when Down on the Upside came out and Burden in My Hand. 
And man, just something with that song totally connected with me to where it was like, wow. And so I went back and listened. Because like up until that time, I'll be honest, like my experience with Soundgarden and Chad Illinois was like the guys who were like Todd and Beavis and Butthead driving around listening to like Spoon Man. Like in their like rusty Camaros yeah. and stuff. So like, <laughs> like, 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 like part I, of me was like, I didn't know it was oh. that popular with that demographic. All right, go on. Yeah, that dude. Like the, those kids went straight from like Metallica into Soundgarden and stuff. Right. It seemed right. like. But yeah, it, and so I, I didn't have the same appreciation for their early stuff as, as I did for their later stuff because I was later to the game, but um just their sound and the way he could just the way he could bellow man he just sang from his soul you could tell just deeper than his gut you know what i mean it, it there it's hard to find voices like that and they don't come along that often so we were just really really lucky to experience it in our lifetime i think yeah absolutely and there's something about that band um like you were saying levi like you thinking of the guys from Beavis and Butthead, there was something about that band that like broke down walls between groups of people because no matter what, like Soundgarden was cool. Like even the people who hated Pearl Jam, like loved Soundgarden. Like I, yeah, yeah, I work with a lot of uh, like really professional, like Berkeley trained musicians who are, are pretty quick to like throw a lot of bands I like under the bus really quick. But Soundgarden to them is like this ethereal, you know, like rock, genius band and i think it's interesting that like all the genres took to them you know like metallica was was fans of soundgarden black, oh, yeah. black sabbath was fans of soundgarden all the bands that influenced soundgarden like actually liked them and dug their mm-hmm. music and so i mean yeah so you had like you had the bad kids and you know uh, the good jock basketball player guys all you know sporting the soundgarden shirts because mm-hmm. It was half half metal, half punk, and half half like uh, kind of feely music, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. The guy could write lyrics, man. That's no doubt. And I mean, if you, I mean, everything in hindsight, as we know, is clear. But it's like the guy wrote some deep lyrics about hard issues of life and like suicide. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the, that's... It, you know, ahead, it's sorry. just it's just tough to you know. Were, were they warning signs? Who knows? It's just, he he gave off such, to me, he gave off such a grounded feeling when I would see him on stage or on TV. Agreed. Yeah. To where, to where I, it, that was the most shocking thing to me. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel like, you know, you knew that he was coming, his lyrics were coming from a really dark place, but... Levi, you, you nailed it when, you know, he has this presence about him that is very confident. He's um, in, in subdued in a way and just like a cool customer. And you feel like he's like a guys like him are like a partitioned hard drive where it's, you know, they can just switch over to this one partition of the hard drive to to uh, bring out these really dark lyrics. But then to live life from day to day, they just go to this very controlled partition uh, that that is you know kind of their public face, and you feel like it's just totally separate. When he needs to go to the well, he can go to the well. But it turns out that yeah, this is like a really complicated dude, and and um, you know looks can be very deceiving, and you just you just never know. And uh, so that that's what caught me off guard uh, most of all. And I think uh, Levi, that pretty much jives with what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As yeah. I mentioned, yeah, you 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 know you don't you, you don't see the demons that people are fighting. You know, I mean, you right. could you could you could sell out Soldier Field, you know, and like still be the, the, the yeah. loneliest loneliest person on earth. You know, I mean, it, it really, yeah, it's oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's, I mean, he talked about. Um, I just recently re-listened to an interview he did with Howard Stern back in 2011, and he did it. I think two or three episodes with Stern, which are great to pull up on YouTube if you get a chance, because uh, love him or hate him, Stern really fires, like gets to the gut, you know, of of the person pretty quick. He's a great interviewer. Um, And Chris talked a lot about, you know, addiction and and in and out of rehab and uh, failed marriages and being stabbed by girlfriends and, you know, 
and, and when you really get down to the guy, like he, it's like a lonely soul kind of thing. Oh, yeah. like your classic, you know, lonely soul getting everything out on stage. And, um, but for me, he was always kind of just like this mythical uh, voice, like you know, kind of like Ozzy Osbourne in a way where you're like, where's the sound coming from? And, uh, you know, like Robert Plant, they always had this mysticism around them and, and they kind of dealt in fantasy realms and things like that. And, but to me, Chris Cornell, like, was like the real deal as far as like speaking from another universe or something. Uh, not to Shaman. Sound, not to, uh, it's kind of, uh, kind of a shamanistic. Shaman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to get too deep or trippy with it, but it sounded like his voice was coming from like a Tolkien world or something. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, man, it, they say, you know, the the best singers sing from deep in their gut, man. He was singing from somewhere deeper than that. It was yeah. right. It, it was somewhere. It not not like I said. It doesn't come along often, and yep. few are few artists get it. So deeper than really the gut, lucky. deeper than the gut, and louder than love. You know, so right, right, right. absolutely nice. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, I, I, I was gonna uh, switch real quick to the more to the repertoire, and, and I feel like yeah. uh, Bad Motorfinger, Super Unknown, and Down on the Upside are about as productive a five year span as you will find in the last you know thirty years of rock and roll. And this is, of course, being you know when uh, one album every couple of years is more the norm now. Um, and, and there's there's so much diversity among the tunes on those records too, you know. Oh my god! I mean, oh. for hard rock, prog, psych, ridiculous, and the, yeah. the songwriting that was shared throughout. Some of my favorite songs are written by the goddamn bass player. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And Matt Cameron is probably the most interesting guitarist in either Soundgarden or Pearl Jam. Um, yeah, I said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, those three albums. It's ridiculous, and they're all s- stupid long. One's 60 minutes, one's 70 minutes, another's 65 minutes. Down on the well, upside, yeah, it's got like 16 tunes. Go ahead. I'm yeah. Sorry. yeah. Well, if you go like from the jump from Bad Motorfinger to Super Unknown, how much the sound changed drastically, but still had, ah, I don't want to say balls, because that's cliche, but it just had this, this heaviness to it, this strength to it. But it was a completely different band in a way you know bad motor finger was like this heavy just heavy visceral the dragging yeah and then super unknown like was really psychedelic and, and, oh, yeah, and took totally. all these really bizarre chances so that drastic change in from what uh bad motor finger was 91 and super unknown was 94 i think yeah yeah exactly. that jump in those four years it's incredible it was almost like a different band but the same people like so yeah it was neat yeah, it, they, um, you know, sometimes when um, a, a band gets a lot of recognition and they have, you know, more tools at their disposal for the for the upcoming album, you know, production um, tools, production tools, I mean, yeah, um, you know, it can it can go south, but uh, they didn't, you know, it um, like Adam had mentioned it. Uh, it's it, even though it has a little more super unknown and down on the upside, certainly have a little more of a polished sound to them. It's still, um, it's still got the um, you know, visceral energy of, uh, of you know, the first couple of records. So, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to show how big they were, man, that Black Hole Sun video, it seemed like, was on every 15 minutes. On oh, it day. was. It was huge. With the Barbie doll roasting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, like, you know so you're much. big when, when people get tired of seeing your video. You know, it was on yeah. so much. It was crazy. They, La- they, last, were, they were huge. Last week was the first time I've listened to that song in probably about 20 years yeah. because I I had heard it so much. Exactly. That, like, I never wanted to hear it again. And right. I love I love that, that's what I'm I love saying. Yeah. Like, that's how big they were. But but to me, like that song's, you know, Jeremy or, you exactly. know, it like, stopped sounding like a song yeah. after a while. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. but I listened yeah. to it for the first time in like 20 years. And then obviously like all these people are covering it online as well. Yeah. Nora Jones. Um, if you're yeah. Honest, did you see she's done a really it's, good That's job awesome. That's an awesome. Person. Yeah. Uh, then like they had like a, in Toronto, like a 250 person choir sang it. Um, it was, 
it's 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 quite touching. Um, but yeah, that it gave me a newfound appreciation for a song that I had unfairly written off only because it was so damn popular. Yeah, yeah. Everybody liked it. It was it was a prom song, man. Practically, you know. I mean, yeah. so. well, the funny thing about that song is, is Cornell said um, when that album came out, he said that he didn't think that song. He thought that would be like the last hit on the record at all. And he said when he came up, when he wrote the lyrics to that song, he said that they don't even make sense to him. He doesn't even know what they're about. He just liked the way certain words fell together. Sure. So I think that's interesting that then that became kind of like their, that's their song. You know? That's their biggest or, single. Yeah, it's got to be. It's yeah. funny you say that, Adam, because that, you know, listening to him deliver deliver those lyrics, you don't think twice about it because it's it totally fits into his style. But when you hear all these cover versions now from the past couple of weeks of people yeah, singing, you understand it, the words. These people, yeah, it's just like, like it's a mouthful for them, man. They're having a hard time, and you realize like the oh, majesty absolutely. that was his phrasing and his his deliveries, and it's no easy feat to cover Soundgarden. <laughs> oh no, no. And, and to me, that's like real poetry is somebody just like mixing some words around. They like the sounds of the words and they like sure. the meaning of the words. They're just going to organically try to put them together into something. And that's ended up being like the anthem of the summer of 1994 for, mm-hmm. the, for the country. You know, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a complete crush on that song when it when it came out before they started playing the video. And it was just this this feeling uh, every once in a while you get a crush on a song like you can't wait to hear it every day and yes. uh and 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 then the video came out and i lost it and even as when i was at the concert um a couple weeks ago then they played it i was still every time i hear it i try to recapture that feeling when i first heard it and i, I still haven't yet, and maybe someday i will yeah well, um you know, he did a lot of work outside of Soundgarden, and I guess maybe we can talk about it for a moment. I have to admit it's work I'm less familiar with. And um, his solo albums um, are, 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 I think he's such a strong lyricist that that's what makes the solo albums enjoyable to me. Even if, you know, musically, I, I, I thought that, um, uh, I, I don't necessarily musically, I really connected with those records. But he's such a good lyricist that uh, I was always interested in what the guy had to say, and even even with Audio Slave as well. And I have to admit, I never really got into Audio Slave that much, but I, I could appreciate his lyrics. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never really got in too heavy into Audio Slave. I, I own the records and have listened to them from time to time, but um, yeah, I'm not too much of an expert on that. Um, I didn't realize it was basically. They were all friends before that, and was it Brad Wilk was going to be the drummer in Pearl Jam at one time, and then it didn't happen, or he was going to... Somehow, like, him and Chris Cornell were linked before, from the, the early days of grunge or something. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. I don't know much about that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I feel uh, like his... I know. His, go ahead, Adam. Uh, I know that Cornell did note that... Um, when they did the Auto Slave records, that they basically just sat down and had like three albums worth of songs that they recorded, like in one session. Like they had so many ideas, and he said it was almost like just this big explosion all at once. Like here's Audio Slave, and they somehow divided that into what they have two or three records. I'm I think sure. they have three records. Yeah, three I records. Three. But that was all yeah. like, yeah, that was all kind of done at once. He said. And then after that, he said the kind of the steam was like let out of the room, and then uh, it got kind of businessy. And uh, I think they had difference, uh, they had different opinions on like business and money and how things should go from there, and if they should keep going. And it just kind of it was kind of like this happening that busted out for a second. So uh, now I'm probably going to dig harder into those records and listen to them a bit more and try to it's a little little bit of a new perspective them. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want to revisit them as well. You know, I uh, it, it didn't have much of an effect on me when they came out. I bought the first one, uh, and I think I own the second one too. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. Excited's the wrong word because there's nothing really exciting about everything that happened. But um, 
I'm I'm interested to 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 just see what how they sound now. With a new perspective, for sure. Yeah, right. right. I feel like his uh, uh, his uh, non Soundgarden time. Uh, so after Down on the Upside, which was a long time together. Yeah, um, yeah I feel like years. the most uh, significant for me, the the most impactful uh, music that he created was. Uh, this solo stuff that he was doing live that started to leak as a result of a bootleg from Sweden uh, that included a uh, cover of Billie Jean, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, um, and uh, ton- really interesting stuff. Peace, Love, and Understanding, uh, Thank You, and Redemption Song. Thank- the Thank You is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's And then the Sinead O'Connor that he later did, I think, in a radio um, what's a Sinead O'Connor song that uh, uh, Prince? Nothing compares. To I'm you. sorry. Yes, thank you, Prince. Yeah. Nothing compares to you. Um, and his renditions of those, I I think, also convert, made him a lot of new fans. Um, it's a bit more accessible music than Soundgarden, and um, his renditions were uh, pretty goddamn striking. <laughs> so if you haven't checked those, yeah, out. He, he said about I think I think it was an interview I heard with him in like 09 or 010 he said that he was always kind of shied away from covers and then one day he uh covered imagine by john lennon and he kind of claimed that john lennon was like his real dad growing up because his dad was kind of estranged and, and not there um but he said then after he covered imagine that he opened up this world of like wait you know what? i can do this i can do some covers and it's not being contrived and like you know i'm not being like and ass by doing this and I'm just going to go for it and, and I'm glad he did because he did some amazing and the thank you cover that he does is unbelievable yeah yeah there's nothing contrived about his approach uh, to uh, putting his own stamp on those songs <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um, but it's sweet to hear that he actually had some humility beforehand to like, yeah right well I can't, I can't do this. I shouldn't be covering these songs. And then just like the floodgates opened up for him. And <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Good, good. Um, uh, to to uh, segue into, you know, Soundgarden's later uh, output being the King Animal, being the album that they released in uh, 2011 or so. 12. Uh, 2012, yeah. Um, I feel like yeah. that that is, it sounds like it was recorded two years after Down on the Upside. I feel like oh absolutely yeah and picked yeah. up right where they left off they did. that's for sure it, I think it's the most and I was saying this before I went to that concert I, I think it's the most impressive release for a band that was on hiatus for more than a decade I, I think oh, in absolutely. the annals of rock history I don't I don't know if you can do any better than that right yeah it's fantastic and it's my favorite cover art of the oh yeah I bet. I bet yeah <laughs> it's pretty badass Here, yeah. I'll, I'll show I'll show it on the camera there uh, yeah yeah. It's one of those records I can't stop staring at when I put it on and I look at the album itself and I'm like, wow, this is great. And music just fits the cover. The cover fits the music, I should say, personally. It's just great, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Like, yeah, that's exactly what that music sounds like. Adam, yeah. Adam, I don't mean to rub it in, but you would have loved it on that tour because the background, uh, the, the um, video background on the stage was basically animated scenes of that cover. Oh yeah, I during, oh, during really? the songs. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Does anybody ever know what the uh, on the super unknown cover what that what that guy is? Because I always saw it as like an elf person or something. It does look like an elf. I think it's I think it's Cornell, but it's just that's what like I a thought super, too. Like motion blur shot. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. I thought it was him. Yeah, I think it okay. is, but it's just super motion blurred. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, hopefully him and Andrew Wood got to give each other a big hug. Yeah, right. No kidding. Yeah, and yeah. we gosh. didn't even touch upon Temple of the Dog stuff. And, I mean, I don't know if I can listen to that anytime soon. Right. Yeah. 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 Were they working on new material as well? There was a rumor. Temple of the Dog? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And Soundgarden, for that matter. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, tough, tough, tough stuff. Um, you know, and, and then yeah, it's it's obviously it, uh, it 
2017 piles it on like 2016 did as well uh, with yesterday uh, losing uh, Greg Allman. Um, and uh, gosh, you know, that's uh, it's it's hard to believe that the Allman brothers was it's really it was only one brother essentially for, you know, 50 years almost, or well, not quite, but about <laughs> nearly, 45 years. Nearly. Yeah, almost. Almost. Yeah. About 45 years. Uh, Dwayne died 45 years ago, I think, 1972, I believe. Um, so, so yeah, so we, we, we lose another great vocalist um, almost really before, while we were still grieving the previous one. So uh, it's, 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 it's shitty. It sucks. Um, and it's shitty, uh, Greg, but it feels different. Yeah. It does, yeah. Yeah, he had, been, he had been ill. You know, it was one of those things where uh, the news wasn't as surprising. Uh, but still, still, still uh, tough, nonetheless. Tough. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is, like, in an interview the Chris Robinson had done, he talked about when he met Greg Ullman. Uh-huh. And what I guess it was, was they were backstage at a show, and Warren comes in, and he's like, Oh, are you guys like you know the brothers from Georgia? The you know the band and Chris is like yeah you know Chris and Rich and they're talking and so they're in this hallway of dressing rooms and Greg Allman comes out and Warren is kind of you know not like outright enthusiastic but like hey man Greg Greg these are those guys from from Georgia the brothers the Black Crows. And Greg Allman, all he did was turn and look at him and said, who gives a shit? And he kept walking. <laughs> so, so, yeah, give, you know, whatever you think about Chris Robinson, he's got a really good Greg Allman story. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, if you read up, Greg, listen, a flawed guy, all right? I, I'm no that. angel, man. All right, yeah, he, he, he made honest. it clear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just for, for Greg. It's just it was all all part of the story, you know. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, he's like the Sam Elliott of fucking rock and roll. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, don't don't fall in love, girls, with with Greg. All right. So, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say, even Cher couldn't tame him. You know. I mean, so hell. Yeah. I had to go back and listen to one of my favorite songs of theirs that you don't often hear a lot, and it was kind of on an album. The album I have is just called Dwayne and Greg Ullman, and it's black and white, and it's just kind of like a. I don't know, uh, like a, a, a etching of them. It's like a drawing of their faces, and uh, it's their version of the Morning Dew. They do an excellent version of it. Walk me out in the Morning Dew. Oh, I've heard, yeah, I've heard it's on it. the Dreams yeah. Rock set as well. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys got it. What's your favorite Omen song off the top of your head? If you had to pick one, oh I'll go. With, God, I, I know one, uh, and it's it's. It's an unlikely one. I'm, I like wasted words a lot. Oh yeah, uh, that's a great song. I, I know it's. Oh, uh, it, yeah, it's it's. I like the lyrics. Like you know, it's just total Greg. You know, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't fall in love, ladies. You know, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, Greg. Dude, yeah. I'll let you guys think about it, Jonathan and Adam. Oh, I've, I've got them. Okay. Well, I was going to piggyback on on Gabe's comment for a second. The guy could write some lyrics, man. And to yeah. think, like, he wrote, like, whipping posts when he was, like, what, like 18 or 19 yeah. or something yeah. like that. And Ridiculous. it's, like, considered one of the, like, the greatest blues songs of all time. And I, it's, I like, where, where does that come from? You know what I mean? He had the blues. And, and right. let's be honest, a lot of white guys don't have it, you know? Not to drag that yeah. into it, but he did. You know what I mean? Oh, he was yeah. I don't want to say he's innate, you know, he's almost born with it, though. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, that comes that comes from somewhere else, you know? Yeah. For sure. I, I bet there was there were many an elder blues statesman who were kicking themselves, saying, I should have written that goddamn song when they heard oh, Whitney right, Post. Right. <laughs> that should have been right. me, but it wasn't. It was Greg Ullman. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mine, I would say a Libraire and A minor off of Vita Peach. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. I am Good a call. sucker for... Uh, the Allman Brothers instrumentals uh, in memory of Elizabeth Reed, 
uh, slays me every time I hear it. I don't get tired of it, even though they almost play it every, every show. But yeah, Librera and A minor, energy behind it, the ups and downs of it, yeah, cuts right through me. Little Martha, oh, Jesus Christ, don't, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you mentioned Whipping Post, and that always stuck out to me as like that should just be the, the Blues Hall of Fame as a song that has existed since, you know, since the start of America kind of thing. Right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those unreal. songs that's that. instant, yeah. instant classic. Yeah. It seems yeah, like it should be a cover, but it's not. It's, it's like that, yeah, right, yeah, that, right, that song should right. have been written in like 1932. <laughs> right, but also, but also, you know, like a like a love song, like Melissa, which love songs are so they're everywhere, and they're so they got to be so hard to write. I mean, I'm not a songwriter, yeah. but you know, at what point do you like go like you know this isn't over the top, this isn't cheesy? And going back to Chris Cornell, he said when he wrote love songs, he would think of a girl, but he would write the love song to God huh. to, to make it more like visceral and, and hmm. real for the audience instead of just honing in on one person, a female. Um, so Melissa to me is just like, it gets me. It just, it blows me over the top. It's, it's too much. <laughs> Apparently that was, that was the song that he played at Dwayne's funeral. Cause it was Dwayne's favorite song. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to me, like Greg Allman was, he was the voice of, if we're going to categorize it, Southern rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I not right? wrong no yeah I mean, for sure yeah yeah oh yeah every other band i mean you had like bands like ccr that were from you know what the san francisco bay area singing songs about catfish in the mississippi river like i love ccr don't get me wrong but you know these guys didn't have their these guys weren't catfishing they didn't have their toes in the river, but, <laughs> right, so, right greg allman was down in like macon georgia like you know like catching turtles and shit like writing songs right. about girls he loved it was, he was right. like the real deal you know right yeah yeah, absolutely. I thought it was remarkable how, you know, sure, it was the Allman Brothers band, and yeah, Dwayne dies just a couple years after they're established, and then they really hit it big after he dies. Um, but Greg was always kind of, you know, he's placed off-center. Dickie Betts was in there as well. And so it was this energy that, yeah, he he his name was on the marquee, but he was this low-key front man at the same time who just facilitated yeah. this talent all around him and it and it yeah. happened in the 70s and then it happened when they were rejuvenated again in the 90s yeah yeah they had a, they had a good rebirth you know um when warren haynes and alan woody oh, came yeah. on board i and i yeah. mean part of that is also you know just the, the fate and luck of it all you know what i mean just to get to get those two guys to be in your band you know, and at the time, what like David Allen Coe was who Warren Haynes had been playing with, yeah. I think, and like Alan Woody was kind of relatively, you know, he uh, he wasn't he wasn't yeah. like a super well known touring bassist or anything. You he know had what to I mean? Try out for the Almonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so oh wow, he, he you know they it all it all worked out really well in the end, but it uh-huh. was a leap of faith for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I mean, like, I, I love the Almonds, but they went through some rough years. They've got some albums that aren't very good. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Win, mean, lose, or draw, I can't really listen yeah. too much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wearing the t shirt right now, but Brothers of the Road isn't any good, really, either. You know, it's um, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I mean, they, they, they certainly had a, a few rough patches, but, but you know what? <laughs> like, Greg let us know that life is kind of rough. <laughs> they, yeah. they, 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 they ain't all diamonds, Adam. You know what I mean, bud? <laughs> well, and what's, yeah, what's crazy, I just about six months ago worked for his son, Michael Ullman. And um, there was this Ullman Brothers tribute band that plays in Colorado called My Blue Sky. And they paid for him to come in. And sing like ten songs with them on a show. They they rented the theater that I work at, one of them, and um, brought them in and like created the show. Michael Allman of you know Greg Allman's son with My Blue Sky One Night Only type of thing, and it was cool and it was crazy because he looked exactly like him. Wow! Like the long the long straight blonde hair, the mustache goatee, the kind of craggly face, and it was it was kind of. 
surreal, you know, to to hear him because he, I mean, he at times he did sound a little bit like his dad, you know, and so it was surreal looking back on it now, obviously, and uh, it, it was a unique thing to to be that close to an omen. <laughs> yeah, I, I was running monitors. I was on like the side of the stage. Yeah. But none of us got to see Greg with the almonds, right? Because he split in what, like '93 or '94? No, I got to. I no, saw no, him like he was. Eight no, or they, nine, they, I saw him. No, they carried on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he, he. Uh, the only time they they weren't really playing regularly up until a few years ago was like, um, like in the like the late like in the '80s, basically. Like they, okay. they, they, yeah, he was like, like when he did it, like I'm no angel. Like that was, you know, the almonds really? weren't the almond, the almonds weren't together at that time. He was he was uh, doing his little Don and Henley thing at the time. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> little, little MTV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the kind of lost in the uh, cocaine a, decade. Yeah, just a quick little uh, story, just because I know, like, you know, we grew up with the Almond Brothers. I think Gabe, you got me into the Almond Brothers when I was in high school. I didn't really know much about them, but there are like this generation of of older guys. You know, that like as teenagers, like in the 70s and 80s, like just grew up on the almonds. And I talked to one of those guys recently, um, this old friend of mine, and I actually broke the news to him that, that Greg Almond died. And, uh, and it, I guess it was a little heavier than I thought it was going to be for him. And he kind of sat back and he was like, wow, man. He goes, you know what we used to say when we were teenagers is um if you're ever having a really bad acid trip the best thing to do is get a six-pack of budweiser and put on the almond brothers <laughs> and save your life <laughs> <laughs> words and, to live and, by. and i was like i was i was like wow that's amazing really he's like you've never heard that before and <laughs> 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 i feel wiser now that i have there's only guys all this is a rib shop but there's only one way out of a bad trip i guess huh? <laughs> <laughs> i'll be here i'll be here all week try the veal all right so. adam it's it's funny you mentioned that gabe introduced you because i feel like um when i think of uh, for some reason when i think of rambling man i think of hearing it in your basement um, I don't know if it was on a soundtrack or something that that, that you would maybe play or or what, but um, no, uh, no, I, know yeah, I, I definitely uh, it's on a compilation that. album. Yeah, my yeah. my first experience would have been in a, a black Ford Escort with the Decade of Hits album. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, it, it's the one that has it looks like a jean jacket. That was yeah. th- yeah. that yeah. was a Columbia yeah. house. That was a Columbia house for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, I think what you were hearing was like it was like a best of whatever years like a time life collection that's I what it was it was time <laughs> yeah. life yeah. yes yes yeah. they make some good cops time life on a side note yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah but but in all seriousness no though like the Alban brothers at this time when we were really at least when i was really getting into music in 91 92 93 so i was you know just becoming a teenager and it was pearl jam attempt with the dog and Soundgarden. then the Alban brothers kind of presented this very uh, you know this throwback—not just a throwback sound, but this more peaceful sound, <laughs> in a way. Um, obviously, you know Greg was singing about uh, some pretty uh, intense uh, relationships, if you will. And but at this, it was—it was just a bit more laid back. And the Allman Brothers were kind of the beautiful. introduction of that for me. Ah, yeah. yeah I, I will always beautiful. associate mushrooms with them. All their logos were mushrooms, but like I would have probably listened to them a lot when I was on mushrooms. So, you know, it was, it was definitely a sound that just brought you back to, to something nice, like to the womb or something within, yeah, right? yeah within confusing times of the youth, put on some Alma, like, well, like I, the guy said. Yeah. Pack of Budweiser and the almond. You're fine. Yeah. Also, also, what I like about them too is, you know, they were steeped in blues, as we mentioned, and and people often think of them as the architects of southern rock, but they were very well versed in jazz as well, uh, which uh, you know obviously came out in their live show, um, certainly. Uh, but uh, I always appreciated that because, oh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I. I like a lot of other Southern rock bands, but I think they, a lot of them kind of lacked. Um, well, their, yeah, them and Marshall Tucker band definitely yeah, had right. a jazzy type of side to themselves. Right, right. 
Yeah. And that's why the Allman Brothers Band, almost with every album, it seems like they would win a Grammy for Best Instrumental. <laughs> Any every album they yeah. would put an instrumental on it, and they would win a Grammy for that song. <laughs> I, I always felt like John Coltrane was like always the unlisted member of the Allman Brothers. Band. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But I, I'm not rock historians like you guys or anything. But wouldn't you say like the, uh, like the Dead and the Allman Brothers are pretty much like the uh, the ladder for the jam band scene? Like why that kind of happened in a I way? I think why so. Still yeah. Today. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. Um, especially because they paved the way for Skinner, Marshall Tucker, and at least on the Allman Brothers side. Yeah, I, I can say I actually, kind of a rarity, I saw an Allman Brothers show, would have been in 1998 or 1999, that had Warren and Woody and Dickie and Derek. What? Derek was no. like 16 or 17. Yeah, I swear. I swear I saw Dickie and Derek at the same show. I'll have to look it up. Hmm. It would have been 1998 or 1999. It would have been in St. Louis. And at one time I had a bootleg of it. And the only thing I can remember about it was at the beginning. Why is it at the beginning on bootleg shows there's always like a rambunctious guy, but he's like, NASCAR Rock St. Louis! Are you ready for the Holly Brothers? Like, that's all I remember from the bootleg. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, sorry, guy. I never really got, I never really associated that with them. Uh, Get this guy off the fucking stage. Right? Exactly. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. No, I don't. Maybe you can think of NASCAR when you think of the Allman Brothers, but not me. Exactly. All right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Mushrooms and John Coltrane yeah. here. Yeah. So. Here's a question for you guys, just because, like I said, I'm not like a rock historian, but like the Allman Brothers, uh, were they influential on bands that then came out later, say like, you know, like in our day, like Pearl Jam influenced Black Crows. Undoubtedly, right? Black Crows, but like even earlier than that, like Pure Prairie League, and um, I just always thought it was odd that Pure Prairie League had this beautiful song called "Was It Amy?" Yeah, right? yeah, right. And it well, just seems so much like Melissa, and it's like, okay, were the Allman Brothers really stretching themselves? That did they create this kind of Southern rock scene in a way? Yeah, I mean, I think they were they were the first recognized Southern rock band, like the the ones that people applied the term to. Um, with Amy. That would have been, I mean, the Almonds would have been, you know, I think Amy's from like 72, 73. And, and the Almonds were kind of at the height of their powers then. So I'm not, I, I assume they, that, you know, Pure Prairie League probably liked them. Um, but uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how, uh, you know, how directly it influenced it. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, they were, they were around the same time though. So. I'm going to assume without the Allman Brothers, you aren't going to have a lot of those, those uh, Southern country hits stylings of the 70s well and oh, the yeah twin, the right. twin guitars thing yeah especially. Sure. i think they they help they help pioneer the twin lead harmony yeah, type absolutely type yeah guitar and greg would just like lay back and you know be on his organ and then they would throw it over to greg and all of a sudden greg almonds you know back leading the allman brothers band and they would just throw it over to all the other guys and, oh jesus <laughs> He was so laid back, he put out an album called Laid Back. It was in right. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, he's laid back. He had an album that was called Laid Back. Right? I don't know about literally. I don't know how, you know, if he was reclining a lot, you know. But, you know I, I caught Brought myself there. Literally I, mentally. I caught, I, I caught myself there. I always, you know, it's my pet peeve when people misuse literally, you know. But in a mental like sense. That. Right, right. So I, I want to be careful, you know. But anyway, um, so, well, cool. Well, you know, we're going to get to a, a portion of the show now. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, thank you, Chris and Greg, for everything you gave us. Um, and this part, we haven't done this in a while, actually. This is a, a part of the show uh, called Show Your Cards, where we talk about uh, baseball cards uh, and cards that uh, they don't have to necessarily be about baseball, but uh, card collectibles that uh, that we like that uh, – are important to us or unique in some way. So uh, we're excited to have Adam on the show tonight to take part of that as well. So um, why don't Adam, since you're our guest, why don't you start? What's uh, what, what card do you have? 
And guys, I just texted okay, well, this to you so you can see it at the same time. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I've been a collector of movie cards since I can remember. I also collected baseball cards when I was young. Um, I was always in search of the Dave Justice rookie and all that for some reason. But, <laughs> Which um, would be inappropriate for Atlanta Braves and Greg Allman tonight. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on like five of them, Adam. I'll cut you a deal on one of them, all right? So. Upper Deck 91? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, but uh, I guess in honor, another coincidence, in honor of your 77th episode, we're going to go back to the year 1977. <laughs> the, uh, well done. The Star Wars Tops card, uh, card number <laughs> card number two hundred seven in the uh, I think it was the fourth series. And what you have here is uh, the infamous Goldenrod card, Pico. And uh, there's a lot of speculation on what happened with this card. Um, uh, the guy that was in charge of making all these cards said that the scene was really rushed when they were making these. Like, Lucas wanted, you know, Lucas is the marketing king of, of movie history. He created movie marketing, basically. Uh, he wanted these cards out fast. And they did it really fast. And rumor has it that uh, this shot was taken on set and something was falling off of Anthony Daniels, who portrayed C-3PO. Like, a, a bit of his costume was falling off, and it just caught the light, right? And it makes uh, him look like as uh, a penis. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got yeah, a rage yeah. there. <laughs> as you can see there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, wow. So the card was found by, by many children in 1970, many uh, feathered-haired <laughs> children in 1977. <laughs> and, uh, and letters were written to tops, and they completely discontinued the card and immediately went back to the printing room and touched it up. And, uh, but this isn't necessarily a rare card. It is going for like a hundred bucks on eBay, but strangely enough, the card that was Photoshopped that looks normal. that looks like our friend C3PO that we grew up with is worth more than the actual golden card itself. Uh, wow. and for some, for some reason I have three of each of these cards. Holy shit. And I don't, I don't know how I've accumulated them over the years, but I thought it was an interesting story. There was a Reddit thread at one point where some guy claimed he worked at Tops at the time, and it was a you know like a couple stoner guys that actually played a trick and said like let's you know put a penis on him and stuff. Nobody knows the real story, and that's what's interesting about the card. It just adds to the adds to the mystique of the card, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the looks of it, there's no lonely nights on Tatooine. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's when he was taking, and that's when he was taking his oil bath. Remember the right, oil bath? Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah, robots robots gotta do what a robot's gotta do. Alright? Seriously. <laughs> so, a, little, a little bit too much blue milk. Got a little Moisture <laughs> <laughs> farm. Did they did they put his dimensions nice. on the back or what? Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's you know what's on the back of those cards back then they used to do was you would I mean like I think there was like three hundred in each set and then you would put the cards together on the back and it would create this giant poster puzzle of something. Right. Yeah. Cool. It's, right it's, it's well, like yeah, somebody's eyebrow card. or something on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well thank you for sharing your card. <laughs> that's that's yeah, uh, absolutely. that's a great one. <laughs> Happy 40th anniversary, Star Wars. <laughs> right? Right? They'll never live this down. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pun in there somewhere. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> so are we going to do Seattle? Or yeah, sure. So the rest of us will uh, do e- either cards from baseball cards from Seattle or Atlanta in honor of Chris Cornell <laughs> or Greg Ullman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'll go. I, I've got a Seattle card uh, from, I, 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 hands down, the most famous player in, in Mariners history. Um, yeah, and guys, I, I just wanted to let you know, I, I did try to get a hold of Mark Langston, uh, and he's just, he doesn't have a social media presence. I emailed, I emailed uh, the Angels radio, because he's an Angels broadcaster now, but I wanted to let you know, I tried, all right? So Langston, if you're listening, we're, we're all ears, all right? Come on the show. Anyway, so this right here um, is 
Put it in front of your face, Gabe. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yep. No, Uh, put it right in front of your face. Center it. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. So this is, um, I had kind of forgotten about these cards. This is a 1990 score. score. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, it's a 91 score. It's a 91 score. Um, documenting the year 1990 in baseball and these are the score all-star cards from that year and they're you know the caricature style which i always liked on t-shirts um this would have been 91 this is in my opinion though even though i like this card um it's kind of when baseball cards started to go a little downhill and i say that just because um there were too many there were too many specialized cards and inserts and subsets. Ba- base, subsets baseball cards started to try to do too much um during Agreed. around the, around this time 1991 ish and you know f- three years later baseball cards are basically dead um so, so this was a gateway know, this, card is what you're this saying this is a gateway card yeah kind of beginning of the end um and uh yeah you know the market just collapsed a few years later and i i think a lot of it has to do with things like this you know um uh but yeah i I do like these cards though and i I was always partial to score i always i always thought they were kind of an underrated brand um i would tend to buy them over fleer like if i was at a pack yeah like like i would usually buy a pack of tops and then if i had money left over i would be like ah fleer or score and i would usually go score yeah, I mean, Upper Deck's, you know, the bell of the ball, you know. Right. But, well, yeah, uh, yeah. That's if you're Danny uh, Warbucks. Weren't scores a little bit cheaper, maybe? Like, 10 cents cheaper? Yeah. Yeah, they scores might have been. Scores were cheaper, cheaper, yeah. Yeah, okay. Scores, uh, what I'm trying to say is scores deserve more respect. All right? Right. Hey. Um, so, so, yeah, this is my <laughs> King Griffey Jr. 1991 All-Star scorecard. Nice, so that's, nice. That's my show. Well done. Your Seattle, yeah. Well, my Seattle card is a, uh, a 1993... Top Stadium Club, Randy Johnson, Whoa. and it's on. That you know, son of a bitch. He's got a broken like a, a bat that is snapped in half with like a ball jammed in between it in his hands. That's pretty cool. And he's given a mean look at the mean Randy, the patented mean Randy Johnson look. But what was so great about these cards was in 1993, they a had foil on them, which was flashy. That was kind of new at the time. And then, I don't know if you remember, but the top stadium club, the packs, always had Kodak logos on them. They were, like, sponsored by Kodak. Oh, and like yeah, It yeah. was, like, the, like the photos are really... Yeah. yeah, well, and the photos are really crisp, like, the definition of them and stuff. And they smell so, like uh, Kodak photos. Yeah. There you go. See, that's so, when it started to go downhill, when cards started to <laughs> smell. All right? Like, yeah. Like, oh, seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, that, that's cool, and I don't think I've ever seen that one. I like that. Nice. Um, so, what's your card? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the good old days of cards, and uh, this is a 1986 Topps update. Uh, Danny Tartable. Nice. Um, good looking Danny Tartable. Card. Good looking Danny Tartable. I, I'm assuming this is spring training. He has the uh, he has the the uh, Mariners Trident cap. Uh, on his yeah. cap, and and the cap has the fishnet back, so that makes me think it was spring training. I mean, right. most baseball card photos are taken during spring training, and he and he has that pullover top on. Uh, but that Trident logo uh, of the Mariners in the eighties is just something to behold. Uh, later this year, he would, I believe, join the Royals. Um, right. yeah. But uh, this is Danny Tartable's, uh, essentially his rookie card. Is that a tops traded? You said, yeah, yeah, tops traded. Um, okay, so it's got like the bright pink back. It does. It does have the bright pink back. Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. Uh, yep. So uh, well, Danny Charles. That's gonna. That's gonna help me when I'm 80. That I. That I know that. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna do real quick my Atlanta card. It's okay. from one of the most printed series of cards of all time, 1990 Donruss. But it's John Schmoltz just mugging. I love it. I. When I think of John Smoltz, I think of this card always. It's got the MVP logos in the background, which I don't know how many packs of these I bought, but I probably ended up with like 40 of these John Smoltz rookies. Or not rookies, <laughs> MVP cards, I mean. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I was just leaning in, actually, like like 
<laughs> realizing you're not here. That's not going to make me see the card better. You know here, what I mean? I'll I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. I go, wait a minute, Gabe. What are you doing? Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a m- m- mustachioed gentleman. Yeah, a, a mustachioed John Smoltz. Jesus, yeah. He's young, yeah. yeah. Tom Selleck, Jesus. He definitely tell yeah, like a right. batting practice warm-up jersey. It's like the real dark Braves jerseys. Yeah, I, I want to see more mustaches back in baseball. <laughs> Because, like, if somebody's wearing a mustache now, it's, like, some ironic asshole, you know? Like, oh, look at my mustache, uh, you know? Like, yeah, like he wants to be. It's like, no, I, I, no, I want, like, a real, like, hey, I, I really yeah. want a mustache. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not. Like, 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 yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've earned like, this mustache. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, dad's yeah, stash, right? I'm not yeah. talking, like, you know, like, guy, like, you know, like making craft beer in Brooklyn. Yeah, that guy's got a mustache, all right? But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about like that kind of mustache. I'm talking like a Tom Selleck mustache, right? That's that's what I want to see. <laughs> well, well, my, my brave card, sorry to disappoint, is uh, a guy who probably, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever seen him with stubble, let alone fully grown facial hair. It's a, a 1982 Topps Dale Murphy. And uh, you can see there, he's he's a clean-shaven, uh, little sprightly, nice. uh, major six-year <laughs> veteran, major leaguer. Um, That's when they still had just, like, the white logo with the A, right? Yeah, this yeah. is the awesome <laughs> lowercase cursive A. Um, it's a good-looking yeah. hat. It's an yeah. awesome hat, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dale Murphy, uh, uh, who has a good Twitter presence. If, if if you're on Twitter, go follow Dale Murphy. He's, he's well, he was good. on he was on our friend's. Podcast. Oh, Ricky Cobbs. Uh, yeah, Super yeah. Yeah. Sports. Yeah. 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 Adam, if you ever get a chance, a guy that was, was on our show, uh, 70 Sports, at 70 Sports, give him a follow on Twitter, our buddy Ricky. It's it's some of the best. Even if even if you're like, you know, you're not like a, a an ardent sports fan, like he he just nails it, dude. It's He's it's all seventy okay, sports cool. it's all seventy sports photos. He's great. He he just had a nice <laughs> oh, retweet by Tabitha Soren, actually. Oh right. well, dude, you know what? And I, not to talk about here. Uh you know who he just interviewed for his podcast? Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe's gonna be on his podcast. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Way to go. Very cool. That's yeah. awesome. I'll check that yeah. out. That's yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. can I go back to Jonathan's card for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. You said that was in 1996? Um, 86. My, my, yeah, mine was in 86. Oh, 86. I was like, oh, 96, that threw me off. I was like, you weren't 16 collecting baseball cards unless was you were it? hiding it from us. Was <laughs> it? No, I, I, I would admit that. I, I think my 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 collecting curtailed uh, right around the time I found I got my first series girlfriend, which was about 1993. Uh, and there, there's a very stopped. definitive line there between collecting baseball cards and then collecting girlfriends. Uh, not collecting girlfriends, uh, but... Collect, collecting <laughs> girlfriends? Listen to you. P-I-M-P. This harem down on Jackson well, you, Street. You Jesus. Can, you, can tell when someone, you can tell when a person's lost their virginity is when the last year of their baseball card collection. <laughs> hey, hey. hey, Adam, my mom listens to this show. <laughs> <I'm> Sherry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I just, I, I just thought you said '96, and I just wanted to clear that up. That yes, yes. I'll I'll admit to '93 and no later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't start collecting baseball cards till I was about 13, and I I only collected them for like two years, and that was it. And it was all like a business deal. Like I wasn't really into the players. But I had like the almanac and I was like, I'm going to make some money. <laughs> yeah. It was a forebearer of things to come. I don't know. Adam, Adam, yeah. Adam, if you had, I just wanted to let you know if you, if you had banked on an early retirement, get a plan B because unfortunately they're not worth anything now. Move on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> Yeah, like junior rookie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After we after we started like stop collecting them around '93, like just I'm not kidding, the whole market just collapsed. Just kids. Yeah, that seemed to be what happened. Yeah, kids stopped collecting them. Like they had too many brands, you know. Like just they'd oversaturated as well. Yeah. Um, Well, they started getting more and more. They like five dollars a pack. Yeah, they started getting more expensive, and it's just yeah, the whole thing just fell apart. Right. Was Was beautiful. Beautiful lot less. They killed it. What's that? Yeah, it was. We've we've discussed it was upper on deck this show. Kind of killed it, right? Yeah, upper deck, we, yeah. We, oh, I'm sorry. I don't we, mean to yeah. backtrack. Uh, 
No, but like Upper Deck was like the cream of the crop for cards. I mean, they were gorgeous cards. They were revolutionary uh, in baseball cards. Uh, uh, And, you know, just the photos were gorgeous, front and back photos. Uh, But yeah, you're right that it was kind of, um, it it was also kind of the end of the party too. You know, it was, it was, it was the peak. And then the the come down was, was, uh, was pretty fierce afterwards. They were the first tamper proof packs. Right, right. Up until that time, but a lot of wax packs. A lot of businesses. A lot of those businesses went on because I mean, like Pokemon got huge after that, right? And that was a huge oh, yeah. part. Yeah. yeah, I mean, or Magic the Gathering stuff like that. I, but right, it's kind yeah. of a cute collectible shops, I'd assume. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's how it ended up being. Like you know, in '93 or maybe '94, I might have bought one of my last packs. It was like you had to go to the comic book store where the guy mainly cared about comic books and Magic the Gathering. And he just had like a couple of boxes of packs and he's like, take it or leave it, kid. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you you had like a... You you, you conjured up an image of like a guy in a a cigar, like, take it or leave it. He's like, you don't need any Magic the Gathering? That's what the kids are playing now. (laughs) Baseball cards are dead, kid. (laughs) <laughs> he puts out his cigar on Levi's like 12 year old hand you know ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, oh man yeah we need to show our cards more often I think uh, we do <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Adam, Adam thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight man we really appreciate it oh it was an honor it was a pleasure so fun. yeah yeah, absolutely. Everybody can uh, follow Adam uh, on the Twitter at Galassi uh, underscore W. Adam, you got any movies uh, you want to plug? Uh, yeah, we're just wrapping no, up a movie yeah. right now that we've been kind of working on the past two years called The No. Right. And uh, yeah, I'll put updates on my Twitter for that movie. And you can also follow uh, on Facebook, The No. Uh, has a, a page on there with updates and with the the bottom of the editing right now and it's all coming together and uh july 1st is our date so there'll be screens and Whoa. film festivals and everything so yeah cool nice look forward to it. uh the yeah. no i like it thing marks it market it's markets itself easily too you know get in the no adam Jeez, you know i mean come well, on yeah, it's, 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 a, right. it's a radio handle it's, it's k-n-o-w the no ah there we go there we go even yeah. better uh, well, good. Right. We're excited. Well, yeah. we're excited about that. Thanks for sharing. Um, and uh, yeah, you can uh, everybody out there. You can follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram at Rock In Chew. That's Rock In In as in. Um, uh, gosh, what, nobody what, what, knows. What, what, nobody um, knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. <laughs> there we go. There yeah. We go. yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, every every week, I every episode I say, I always forget what I'm going to say during that part um, for the end. But anyway, you can follow us on Rock at Rock Inchu on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. And one of the most important things you could do is uh, give us uh, a review on iTunes because that would help the podcast visibility. Uh, get some other folks out there listening to us. Uh, but yeah, however you listen to us, uh, leave us a rating. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you for episode uh, number 78. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Peace.